Jason, today I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to say thank you to the people that bring us this show each and every week. It's Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Today is our 300th episode. Budget Blinds 300. And so I want to say a big thank you to the Stoddard family, to Budget Blinds of Lee Summit for being a longtime supporter of Link to Lee Summit and the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. Literally. All hail our robot shade overlords. That's right. So if you like this show, go in and see our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Tell them thank you as well. And Jason, because they do give us money, we should say a little bit about why they're awesome. They are awesome. They are selling the Signature Series Automated Shades, which provide a safer environment for children and pets because they're cordless. And additionally, as if that were not enough, and you get to program them and make them up and go down. I get to use the phone. That's awesome. You get to use the phone to do the, the shades. You can make them go up and down at certain times of the day to maximize your energy efficiency in your home, which makes it like a, a bargain, and it's safer, and it's better for your pets, and it's better for your children. What else do you need? Hustle. Don't walk. Run to Budget Blinds. Tell them Jason and Nick sent you. Hello again, and welcome to Lee's Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. You've Three, said that 300 times 300 now. times. I am Jason Norbury, and as always, I am joined by a man who has already interrupted my introduction, but he has gone the full Mahomie. It is Nick Parker, the publisher of Link to Look, Lee Summit. I was already a little excited about this milestone, but man, we got just a few more days until we get to watch our team. In the Super Bowl. Our semi-centennial event. <laughs> Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I am excited. I literally, I will watch. This will probably be like the, like, I think I've watched about a quarter of football all year. But I am super hyped. We do a Super Bowl party every year. I'm very excited. It will be a very interesting experience. Having We've done it for 20 years and we've never had the Chiefs in it. So it's going to be an interesting experience and I'm looking forward to it. I actually am going to be working a little bit. So a, a friend of mine is at the Super Bowl. He's shooting it. He's doing video and photo, and he's going. I'm actually going to be editing and working up his uh, his photos and his video. You mean you have to work during the Super Bowl? Ah, you know, I, I I get to look at awesome pictures and video from the field. Oh, fair enough. But so, it's still no, like work. It's not real work. All right, you're not going to be enjoying team color jello shots like I am. Well, we didn't go that far. Okay. Well, everybody, our unofficial sponsor today is Remembered Beer. As it turns out, a few a couple of months ago. I engaged and assisted in some brew brewing of beer, homebrew beer, with one of our, uh, I would say, a, a semi-regular contributor to the Town Hall podcast, Hans Koshman, the pastor at Martin Luther Lutheran Church. And 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 it reminded me while we were sitting here today, my I remembered that it's ready and in the basement of my house. I have remembered beer. It's like free beer. It's I good. Achieved. I have had it. I just I just actually opened the first bottle ah. the other day. And, and also, you should know that Hans... Four-time guest. Four-time guest. On so. the Lee Summit Town Hall, which ties him for second. He, uh, I'm going to say this, Nick has been assaulting me with podcast statistics all week long because someone, and his name is Nick Parker, is excited about the fact that this episode, as we speak, you are listening to Town Hall episode number 300. I, I, I am a little excited, and look, I'm, I'm a baseball dork, so I kind of, I like weird Stats. Also, I have been doing it because I am horrible at self promotion. I'm bad at celebrating my own milestones, but but I saw this one coming up and, and I just felt like look, even if it's just for me, I'm gonna celebrate it because it's pretty darn cool. We've done it for three hundred episodes and, and this was the thing I didn't want to do. This was if you remember Jason, this was me begging you to write for Link to Lee Summit and you saying no, 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 and then a few beers later. Here we are. So uh, think of a rum. <laughs> More than a few beers between that moment and now, but yes. So my remembered beer moment is I remember that beer at Fringe. There we go. We were sitting there. We had this conversation. I refused to write, but I said, hey, I'll talk on radio for you. Then there we go. So Hey, I made, a, I made a post earlier today on Facebook. We're recording this on Tuesday. I made a post earlier today, and I, I teased you a little bit, but it talked about your one of your favorite episodes which really was proving me right. But it was you said one of the things you really remembered over the last last 300 episodes was an interview we did with Roberta MacArthur and One Good Meal. 
It is true. It, it was one of those. I was uh, when when we talked about doing all this. I was like, no, we should talk in banter, and we had some conversation, and there was some stuff in that that I was right. And then you, yeah, said, but I don't want to talk about that part. Yeah, I know. But then you said, hey, no, we need we should do interviews, and I'm like, oh, do we have to man? And then we sat down with Roberta, and she was, I mean, she was Roberta. And, you know, those who know her know how engaging she is and energetic she is and passionate she is. And and that 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 moment when we got into that and going, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see this. It could work. And so that was a thing that then we, we carried on. And, and obviously, the, the podcast has evolved in a lot of ways over the course of uh, the- We sound a lot better now. The three years, we have better sound equipment. Yeah, we're not recording on one bad microphone out of an iPhone in, the, in wherever well, we can find time then, to do it. Well, and back then, you had to do the interviews by yourself because we only had one microphone. And so I was busy trying to make sure it worked between you and a guest. Right. Um, but yeah, we, it's changed. So let me let me let me ask you this: Do you have since then? That was the one where I think you kind of you got what I was the picture I was trying to paint by why we should do interviews and talk to people around town. Was there another one that maybe content wise sticks out to you? You know, I, I it, when you do this from this side of the you know from this side of the microphone. I mean, but I mean in terms of the the production side when you're the on air talent thing i try not to use the word talent about yeah, either of us well i i I, I did air quote it which doesn't come across on the podcast but there we go uh when when you're on this side i tend to i have a hard time evaluating them often on a like is that a good experience for the listener it's like did we do a good job how did it come across technically did we hit the points was there like dead spaces all that sort of thing i thought um you know, and I'll tease the the interview that's going to come up on the end of this one. I think is actually a very good one. But I I, I was really pleased the last time we had Elaine Metcalf on, another multiple time uh, guest on our podcast. I thought we really did a good job of of engaging that whole process and working that way. So it, it sticks out to me, and I know you'll be shocked at this. The process and the and the technical thing is what you know kind of engaged me in that whole pro- part of that. Um, we've had so many good interviews over the years. Some of them, you know, some were good. Some we've come out of the back end of it going, yeah, we could really do better the next time um, and, and deal with that. But I, I think we've really, we've, we've improved a lot over the years. And, and, and so we, we're doing a much better job. And you especially, I'm going to be nice to Nick Parker. Uh-oh. So but mark this. You especially have really grown as an interviewer as you do this weekly, the, the weekly Friday interviews um, with that. You've really grown and gotten a lot better at that. And now, honestly, about half the time, I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, I was a, a little nervous at first. It was a whole different style of interviewing to, to teach myself. You know, I was a, a writer before, so um, timing didn't matter really as far as I could bounce around any timeline I wanted and then put it in order when I, when I wrote. So to think about now when I do interviews, to have to learn to think about, okay, this question's going to lead to that question and what they say. I had to think a little farther ahead, I think, with mm-hmm. this. Um, there's a couple that stick out to me. One, uh, I, I, I have mentioned this one before, but I, I really liked – the interview we did a couple years ago, we had a it was our first kind of big panel where we called in Terry Trafton and Rachel Segovia and Kirsty Millar, and now I'm forgetting who the last other one was. Lauren was her first name. It was after a couple of suicides in our community, and this was just we didn't really plan on it. It wasn't anything coming up. The suicides had happened, and I just sent an email to Terry Trafton and said, "Hey." Could we and should we have this conversation? And, and he had emailed me back in about 30 minutes and said, here's, here's some people. Let's get them on. And that conversation was good. And I think a lot of it, too, was because I got something out of it. We learned a lot just, just having that conversation and an and open forum for you and I just to ask questions because we didn't know what to think, how to think, what to talk about. And by doing that, I think I think, and I like to think that was also helpful to other people in the community. I, I think so. And I think it was a good piece. I mean, and part of the remembers is the – you know, the whole duck uh, uh, analogy people use is that looks like when you listen to that interview and then obviously, it, you know, it, that was two plus years ago and we're better now at it than we were then. But even then, like just the, the amount of technical horse work we had to do to try to make sure we had enough microphones, that they were at the right levels, all that sort of stuff. We were scrambling so much underneath it. And then you can almost forget if you don't take that time to look backwards, like, how much of a like what a good piece that turned out to be by remembering like oh my god I was so scrambling that was before we had this fancy this fancy studio yes at, at Bridge Space that, that in itself in the last year has just just evolved a lot there's a couple other interviews I think that I, that, that that I've always enjoyed I, 
I, I loved my interview with Hubert Neth a few years ago where he and I just sat and talked and I think I asked one, maybe two of the questions that I had planned on and then the rest of it just happened. And it's funny, you talk about how you kind of distance yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. I remember when I walked out of that interview, all I could think of was, well, that was a good conversation for me. I hope everybody else likes it. <laughs> I had a great time. Well, honestly, just talking to that's, that's pretty much what we started with at the very front end. Like, well, this works for us. We're going to see if anybody <laughs> else wants to listen to it. So I, I will congratulate you, Nick. You have put a lot of hard work into this. Um, I will take uh, an, a disproportionate amount of the credit, if possible, uh, for contributing or being basically dictating all of the success you've had. <laughs> and, uh, but no, you've done a, a, a tremendous job. And 300 episodes, that's a lot of work. And most podcasts, like start out they do about 10 episodes and like and they realize this is like there's a lot to this i don't want to do this all the time and they they peter out but you and i have kept on and you have you have grown it past even what we had guessed when we started well i appreciate it and 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 thank you for tagging along in this uh this little endeavor this project i think it's been fun i think we found kind of a little niche in the community a place where some some community journalism wasn't happening and we've been able to tell the stories of the community in in a different way and hopefully also just just Make some conversations happen that that were only happening in Facebook land or or in coffee shops, and we've been able to put some things out in the open and, and, and ask some questions of people that weren't, weren't getting asked. So we are going to continue okay, look, to do it. I've, I've had enough of the nice stuff. Can we talk about weed now? All right. We're going to talk about weed. Hey, this is, this is for you, Jason. <laughs> Finally. I have got to be on Rachel Segovia's angry list every time we have this on there. <laughs> hey, so we've talked about this a lot. This is... No matter where you are on that spectrum of support, right? Mm-hmm. This is a big story because it's a huge change statewide. It's literally a big giant change in the law, right? But now we are finally getting to that that those last few things, and in the last week, Jason, they have finally awarded the licenses for dispensaries. So we now know there's going to be three. In Lee Summit. Right. In the in the city limits of Lee Summit. We have to be very clear here. So there is one, um, and we're not going to give the company names, and you can go look them up. There are articles, and you can go to the state's website where they have a big list of them. There's one gonna that was awarded on uh, 3rd Street, just west of downtown, between, between downtown and 50 Highway. Uh, there's one that has been granted that is in the 291 and Tudor area, and there's one that was granted that is... It, must just barely be within the city limits up just north of seven highway or on seven highway, just north of Colburn road. So those are the three that were, that were granted uh, license that there was only about a half dozen that had passed through that first level anyway. So that's a 50%, you know, closure rate, if you will. Um, and, and so we'll see where that, where that all falls in. Did you let yourself get a, a little kind of nerdy? Like you like to get and dig in a little bit about, you know, what, about that process and maybe even what it might mean. Are there going to be changes and more changes in, in city ordinances? And I mean, I think we'll see some. I think we're, we're you know, Lee Summit locally and in Missouri, we have the benefit of having had, you know, Colorado and Washington State and California and some other places that have had these book laws on the books for a little bit of time. So they've worked out a lot of the the initial, the really dumb mistakes, for lack of a better way to put it. And and so we've had the benefit of being able to take that information and and process it into our local things. But there's bound to be some friction points going forward, right, between what we want as a community and what we have to allow as a, as a thing under the constitutional amendment that, that brought this into, into being. And, and so it's an interesting thing. I mean, so when we talked about when the applications were out and they listed all of the applications that were there, there was one on the East side of 291 at Tudor. And there was one on the West side of 291 at Tudor. And we, we talked about it at that time that that's because these are parceled out by congressional districts and that's the congressional district boundary. Well, they up, they awarded one, on the east side, but they didn't award the one on the west side, which is, makes a lot of sense. You don't need to have two of them a right, few hundred feet right. apart. Although I will say this, having recently driven through Oklahoma twice, the quantity of uh, dispensaries there is much, much denser than what they've allowed in the state of Missouri, uh, as well as the advertising well, I, state. And I, so. I think it's important to note here that that, that will grow and change. This is, this is the first phase. Right, and we don't know, and we don't know at the state level what you know how many more they're going to allow, how often they're going to have these applications come through, any of that, whether it's an ongoing thing or a biannual thing or what. We have no idea, but we're going to see this, and and so they're going to be open soon. If they're not open, you know, I mean, I'm sure they're not open yet, 
but they're going to be open pretty quick here and we're going to see how the impacts are and then we'll, we'll find find out how that uh, changes what we do and what we change to make it work for our community i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a big surprise here as i transition to our next topic i'm gonna make it about me again oh i'm stunned on this episode <laughs> of nick celebrating himself <laughs> So 300 episodes ago, we started, Jason, we started the show with with two things. One, we wanted to talk about how people could get involved. Mm-hmm. Getting involved in the community, you have more chance to, af- opportunity to affect change here in your backyard than you do anywhere else. And the other thing, we were talking about government and elections. And as a matter of fact, our first episode was about 12 proposed changes to the city's charter. And that's where we... That's where we really, really dug in. I'm going to note this with our good. We started this with us going to a giant nerdy rant about 12 city charter amendments, and yet somehow people listened Somebody and listened. are still here. <laughs> thank you, guys. I just say thank you. That is an amazing amount of well, patience. I love, though, that because that's how we started was with election coverage, now that we – as, as we hit number 300, you know what we're doing? We're kicking off election coverage. We're starting election coverage. So we are today. We are going to kick off election coverage as we work our way toward the April election, and we're going to have candidate interviews. We're working on possibly a candidate forum coming up. We're going to talk about all of that. Link to the summit. We'll have some questionnaires, some Q and A's for each of each of the candidates, both for board of education and for city council. But today we're going to talk about the bond issue. That's coming up for the school district, and and after you and I talk for just a little bit, we're going to have a conversation with Board of Education member Ryan Murdoch. Uh, yeah, we picked Ryan uh, because, um, well, one, he's a school board member, so he can talk about it, and he can even, as he does in this interview, express an actual opinion on, on the bond issue itself, but also because he's not running for re-election, and he's been on the board for a couple of years, so he has a little bit of experience, He but he doesn't have a a competitive dog in the fight, as it were, uh, because he's not trying to either win election or not on on the backside of it. And so Ryan's a, was a good source and, and a good interview. And, well, you should listen to him now. We are here with Ryan Murdoch, a school board member with the Lee Summit R7 Schools. Ryan, how are you? I am fantastic. Thanks That's for having good. me. That's good. Welcome. We have asked you to come in to talk about well, I mean, really, we just want to spend a lot of time digging through uh, former employee contracts. And no, I'm sorry, we're going to talk about the bond <laughs> issue. Uh, we wanted to get uh, we wanted to get a school board member on to give a little bit of background and some depth of information that goes what beyond uh, us two dummies have uh, postulated on our podcast a number of times. Well, so. really, it's it, it's a big cheesecake factory sized menu. So we thought maybe somebody that was you know smart and actually in the know should come on and, and, and talk a little bit about well, all, what all of these things are. Well, I'll make sure and call one of the other board members. Yeah, I was going to say, sure in the absence in of that, we have someone in the know. But, uh, no, no, no. Ryan, we know, you, we know you have paid close attention. We know you're on top of this sort of thing, so we're going to do this. So let's just talk a little bit about the bond issue, um, kind of in broad, and then kind of break out some of the major pieces and, and talk about those. Sure, let's do it. All right, so let's start with – well, let's start with, uh, I guess we'll start with the maximum controversy. Um, upgrading Mason now. Uh, the maximum <laughs> controversy, of course, is the, the plan to build a fourth middle school and then the stuff that comes with that. So let's talk a little bit about why, um, what, what that money is, is going to do and, and how, it, how it's going to work out. Well, I think when we started uh, discussing whether or not we needed a fourth middle school, the very first thing we had to decide was, what is the appropriate level for sixth graders? Should they be in the elementary school? Should they be in the middle school? And I think that that's where the discussion really started and stemmed from. And ultimately, after numerous committees met, that that included district staff, community members, and then ultimately um, teachers and counselors, the recommendation from them was is that the sixth graders are going to have an enormous amount of opportunities um, if they go to the middle school as opposed to staying in the elementary school. The added benefit to that, obviously, then, is we create some space, obviously, in the elementary schools that we already needed. But I think it's important for people to know that that wasn't the driver of the decision, right? So, Ryan, I, it, on that thing, there was a lot of – it was an interesting thing when we looked at how the, the responses were. There was a lot of concern expressed when this um, – 
recommendation, I think, was first brought forth well before the bond issue part. How do you address, how did you address the the concerns that were raised, mostly by parents, I think, who hadn't been involved in the process, but how did you, you address those concerns about moving people's precious sixth grade babies up to big evil middle school? I think I think the first thing you do is is you do evaluate who is giving the feedback, right? And what is the actual feedback for why they didn't want their sixth graders to be going to middle school? So even if you went through all of those survey results, what you would actually see is the parents are saying they're only ki- going to be kids once, right? They're only going to be able to, or we can only protect them in the elementary school setting. That's where they're protected the most. And then if you go in the survey and you look at teachers and counselors and other people who were a part of these exploratory committees, all of a sudden you get a really different picture. And the board members, I think, saw that in that the sixth graders, socially and emotionally, will do just fine in the middle school. The research supports that. Um, It supports the efforts to include them in more activities, more clubs, more courses. And quite frankly, one of the other things that we addressed was two years in middle school, is that a good transition period to get them into high school? You know, so now all of a sudden you get the sixth graders into um, a middle school setting, and now you're giving them three full years to transition into the high school. I think that's going to be a really big deal. And we've heard that from a lot of parents, even once we made the decision is after they thought it over, you know, those three years are going to be really important instead of just a flash in the pan in seventh and eighth grade, and they get shuttled onto high school. You are you are uh, father of elementary kids as well. So, uh, were you able to bring that perspective in? Did you let that happen, or did you kind of try to separate as a board member your your perspective as an elementary dad versus perspective just just as a board member? I mean, kind of how did you play that? Well, it's it's impossible to not consider it as an elementary parent, right? And my kids will be the very first kids. Um, who will be in the middle school with sixth graders. Now, mine will be in seventh grade at that particular time. So they'll be the last group of sixth graders um, in elementary school should the bond issue pass. Um, But there was a lot to consider. And, of course, my kids were excited about it because it meant even some of their friends who are a grade below them will be coming with them. And the transition period might actually be a a little bit easier for everybody because kids are going to know each other as they go from one building to the next. So I think that that actually uh, will be beneficial. But... All that to say, I did have to still consider it, try to separate that as a board member versus a parent and say, is this what's best for all of the sixth graders in the district? And will it benefit us in the long term? And I think it does. Good. Well, I guess we'll, we'll roll this into, I think, probably the what comes right off of that. If we're going to build a whole new middle school and we're going to move the sixth graders up, obviously there's a lot of work that needs to be done to the existing middle schools. And so one of the items on this uh, at a I guess listed approximate cost of $25 million was to, to do some renovations to make that happen. So what are those renovations going to look like roughly? And, and what, um, how does that, what does that matter to our district people? Well, the renovations first and foremost are still, some of them are still in the design phase. And I think that that's important for people to, to keep in mind. Um, but we're going to add, you're going to be able to add new security features and entryways for all the buildings um, at the middle school. They're going to have added extracurricular areas to accommodate um, for the sixth graders. And then it'll also be kind of some purposeful renovations in terms of making spaces more useful as we bring more kids into the building. I want to be upfront though that none of the renovations that have been proposed are necessarily are final yet, right? The design team um, that is working on them, the architects who are working on them are still going through the final stages of that because we have to get the bond to pass before we can finalize all those designs. Okay. And so I guess that answers that question. I think one of the things that some people have come up with is like, well, I don't know what I'm voting on, right? That, that's a thing that you, you know, renovations at the middle schools mean something, uh, but what that is. So your your answer to that then is, well, we have to get the approval before we can finalize the plans because we have to know how much money we have to do into the process. That's absolutely right. Now, that we clearly have a, a design idea for what we want to accomplish at each building, but each building obviously is very different. I mean, you walk into Bernard Campbell versus Pleasant Lee, and the way that you're going to have to structure those buildings to make sure that we accommodate for the new sixth graders would be very different. And so I think, I hope people also understand, you know, that as renovations and upgrades occur to those buildings, that we'll get different things at those buildings to make sure that it's meeting the needs of each one of those groups of students who's coming into the building it, it, it's it's not a one-size-fits-all not not no not even close how, how dare you treat one child different than another that seems weird well let's just give everything that every kid needs how about that all right there we go winner <laughs> i think that'd make the bond issue bigger <laughs> yeah no that that's probably <laughs> true that here, here's probably my question true. 
Could it be bigger? <laughs> a school building. Wait, um, uh, one school building for each child. That would be expensive, I think. So, and not very much fun for the kids either. No, they wouldn't get a lot of together time. That is true. That is true. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little bit about about then that security. You just brought you just brought up that that's that's a consideration as you're doing upgrades to the middle school as you'd be building a new middle school. Security is a big part of this through all of the schools. I know a lot of it's going to be at a few specific things, but but what for people that want to know exactly what that means on the menu? How how, how do you kind of explain that? Well, the first thing I want people to probably understand within the community, and I think there is a misconception going around in the community right now that we're only putting $3 million into safety and security um, initiatives because they see that as one particular point within the bond issue. What I would say to that is that's in and above what is going to be going on with safety and security features in each of the other bond projects that are going to be going. So, for example, when we're going to build an all-new middle school, safety and security features are already a part of that, right? When we're doing stadium upgrades and doing some of those things that we have at $19 million, that's a part of safety and security within those issues. So there's a lot more money in this bond issue for safety and security than just what we're seeing within those $3 million. All right. Well, okay. So let's 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 talk a little bit about uh, some of the older buildings in the district. Um, we'll start with Mason Elementary. As I said before, clearly the most uh, controversial thing here to expand and renovate that school. <laughs> uh, let's talk about why. I mean, you know, people. That, that's the part of the district that uh, serves Lake Lotawana and and a lot of the people over there are. I guess we'll say they 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 enjoy that part of that for its own unique identity, and you're you're going to put a lot of money into that school. What's that going to do? Well, I think first off, let's start with with that feature that we do have, and we've had a lot of people question why Mason um, and and not. I don't think people are questioning why Mason. I think they're saying why Mason and another building. Like for example, we'll have people who want us to renovate Greenwood Elementary School since it's an older building has some of the very same needs. I agree with that, right? I agree with that. Greenwood is older. It does have some needs, but it's needs that we hopefully will be able to fulfill through our capital improvements projects as we go forward in the next few years. Mason has to get upgraded because they are projected to be 400 kids over enrollment in 10 years from now of what their building capacity actually can do. And so that the, seems like more, that seems like a lot. That is a lot. That is, that is a lot. And, and they already are at about 110% capacity right now. Um, whereas a school like Greenwood is sitting at 85% capacity. And so when we looked at Mason, Mason or the CAC committee looked at Mason and made that recommendation, they know that there is the capability to close that building off and essentially make it a square. I don't know if you're familiar with the layout of Mason Elementary School, but right now it essentially is a U, a U shape. And by closing off the other end and creating what essentially would be like a whole new hallway of classrooms and stuff like that, we can increase its capacity um, dramatically, um, keep that neighborhood together, which they kind of wanted to do anyway. Those people, the people at Mason were pretty clear that they would like to stay within that attendance boundary. So we're doing the best we can with that. Clearly, we're not going to please everybody on this, but Mason was the one elementary school that had a huge enrollment spike, was projected to have a huge enrollment spike, and had the ability to have a major renovation. Tell me a little bit about the, I, I guess, the process behind getting to that, to where where, where you get, you can need, whittle it down to here's the one that is more in need now compare compared to the others what's that and I, I know there was a lengthy process through the the cmfp i got it right that time yes I, we don't want to count how many times i got it wrong <laughs> actually um, i no i didn't <laughs> <laughs> but 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 so i know that was a big process and we've talked a lot about it but but maybe just a real quick kind of brief refresher of of what that was and the process to get there well, you're right. The CFMP was the initial driver, right? So we got all of the uh, projections and stuff like that for all of the elementary schools, all the middle schools, and all the high schools. So the CFMP is the driver. After that, after the initial CFMP phase one was done, then you have the community groups and community engagement sessions that centered around what should we be looking for in the bond issue. And literally, we're talking hundreds of people that were involved in the engagement sessions, the planning teams, the research teams. And ultimately, all of that information then got pushed uh, together and given to the Citizens Advisory Committee, or the CAC, as most people know them in the community. That group, which is still a pretty large group um, of individuals, and that's community members, that's teachers, that's administrators, and then two board liaisons are on that committee as well. Then it was their job 
okay, now we have 40 projects that we want to do. What are the projects that are the most needed and what can we financially handle in this particular bond issue? So on Mason, I think that one was pretty high up on the list. Um, that's me as one board member saying that, by the way, because we knew where the enrollment already was with Mason. We knew it was spiraling just upwards, and we had to do something um, to alleviate the concerns um, that were going on at Mason. All the projects, though, that ended up getting selected are absolutely needed. I mean, we could probably talk about every project for 30 minutes, you know, about the needs of that particular project. But We have our next podcast series. Right, right. But we really did have, I mean, the CAC is who ultimately, as a combination of our community teachers, administrators, and board, came together to make that recommendation to the full board. And it was their job to send us that particular recommendation. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you. And I think that's a guys, that's a nice illustration about some of the choices, you know, I mean, it's not like Greenward versus Mason, like Winnebago versus not at all. Lottawana. It's a rumble. We're going to start a street we, fight. We can't have like a paintball fight. It's, it's going to, no, I think winning should, elementary gets, gets the bond money. No, no, no. I want, I want like a turf fight between the two big, those two big lakes communities. I, and I feel like this should be like a West Side it. Story, a little dancing, a yeah. little fake knife fight. Yeah. When you're a Lottawana, you're a Lottawana. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. All right. Now no, I just we, need... We, we apologize for I that. I need right. someone to write the musical for it. There we go. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about... Calling Ben Martin. Ben Martin. Ben Martin. Yeah, our Lake Lottawana West Side Story. There's what we want. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about like one of the other older schools, uh, buildings in there, and that's Lee Summit High School. Um, this is, I think, the... The biggest single ticket in the listing of things here. So we're putting a lot of money in there. Um, tell me why. Well, one, it absolutely needs it. Let's Fair. just start. Let's just start with that. Well, that's there, a that's a, sta- there, that's a conclusion that's right. statement. That's right. I want I mean, reasons. I mean, I mean, that's that's a, that's an easy one to go. But all kidding aside, Lee Summit has um, not only some issues in terms of its infrastructure within the building that needs to get corrected, it has essentially some safety and security issues that we can alleviate by creating a better traffic pattern for all of the students. Um, the way that they are the a campus feel and you walk from one building to another has always been an issue in terms of making sure that students are able to get safely from one building to another. So creating um, or eliminating what currently is um, that eastern breezeway that goes down from their auditorium down to, I can't remember if it's building A or B. Um, but you would have to by if there's reading. not a sign literally pointing right. to the building, I have no <laughs> right. idea where to go. And I've done my very best to learn every <laughs> single outlay of every building. But um, the the end result is, is by redoing um, the format of Lee Summit High School, it not only will allow for students to have a safer um, walk and or be able to go from building to building, from class to class, but it's going to give it a major overhaul. Not only what you see off of like 50 Highway, which is going to be big too, um, but the inside as well, New media center um, you're going to get um, a refurbishing of all of the I mean true innards of the building are going to get um, a, an upgrade which is something that it has needed for a long long time and I think the other big thing and it's not rolled into that project and so I think it's it's worth mentioning is that you know if we can get this done Lee Summit High School baseball softball finally have fields now we get right? there I mean look so that's we finally like, talk about sports let, let's I literally mean, that Nick is, has been agitating for this for months. this okay. is what high let's school go. and and School districts are all about it's the high school sports, right? No. Oh. 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 Hey, that was it. Wait, 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 wait. You gave it him the opportunity. It is a part. It is a part. How about that? It's not all. That's right. It is not all. <laughs> let us let us nerds, you know, have well, a moment here. Well, first, uh, let's just start with this. First, let's just walk through the the athletic component of this and and what we're what we're talking about, and and then we'll we'll kind of dig in a little bit about about why because I think there has been some questions from the public about why this and why not other things, and I th- I think you might be able to again talk about balancing and, and weighing the different the different stuff. Yeah. You have a particular question? You well, tell well, me to go first, after. First, let's, no, first. There, that was the perfect Nick interview question. Yeah. He didn't actually ask one. Just right. talk. Let's <laughs> just <laughs> talk. No, let's start. Let's start. Let's start with first what what it is that we're actually the district will actually be doing if the bond is passed. Okay, so the facilities upgrades. I mean, for lack of, I mean, just to keep it uh, simple, is new turf new areas around m- many of our sporting facilities, and then new softball and baseball field um, for Lee Summit High School, which would actually be housed at the new middle school. 
Um, now currently they're at Legacy Park, and so f- to finally give them an area um, that they can call their own, to actually have an area that they can meet as a team, for example, even to have a locker room would probably be pretty nice, right, at this particular point. Um, more than that, and I know probably where the next question would go is, is what else do we get out of it? Well, I hope people realize the number of kids that use those fields that are not in sports. Band kids use them, okay? Gym classes use them. The community goes and uses these fields, these tracks, all that kind of stuff. So when we resurface those things, that also becomes a huge benefit. And then I'll end with the final point, which is the fields needed to get replaced anyway. They were at the end of their life cycle, um, and they were going, or they will get replaced one way or the other, I suppose. So um, this is something that needs to get done, um, and it is a benefit to, I mean, literally thousands of students. And and I think first I want to know is how many how many wins does a new field equal? Right. I, I believe it's a, a, the the over under right now is eleven. Okay, three state titles. Yeah, yeah that's what that's what that's right. what I wanted to hear. Three state titles or bust. Okay, so well, I think it's to be clear that that you know the other two high schools have dedicated baseball and softball space for their students for those athletes, right. student athletes, and you and we're creating essentially parity. Correct for that. At Correct. That point. Yes. So it's not like we're just like we're not we're not some small town in Texas building a 55,000 seat, $28 million stadium for, for their, well, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to pick numbers here. <laughs> he's, he's probably accurate. That was a, that was, yeah, a, that low, was that low. low. Go, go, was, go, go look at like, McKinney was, school district. Right. 28,000 seat, $55 million stadium. That's probably better than the other way around. But anyway, there we go. Okay. So let's, uh, we got, I think we we're almost all the way through. I think the last big item was the second early education center, uh, being created. So, I guess uh, explain to me why we need that, and then why is it going at Prairie View? Well, let's start with the first thing, which is it is needed because we have a large wait list of kids for the Great Beginnings program. And I think if you would talk to the majority of the board members, community members, administrative team, this is um, one of probably the most important items for our district, regardless of any bond issue, regardless of any other thing that we're doing within the district is, can we expand our early childhood program? Because if we have dozens of kids on a waiting list, then we automatically are already kind of putting ourselves behind the eight ball um, for kids who need services and then enter kindergarten without having gotten those services. So it's ultimately probably a higher cost to our district in the long run um, than it would be if we can figure out a way to get all the kids services who need them um, through the Great Beginnings program. Secondly, why Prairie View? Well, Prairie View is a double elementary school. Prairie View is also under enrollment um, and is projected to stay under um, the enrollment for that particular building, actually well under that um, enrollment number. And so what you can, can I Can do, I interject real yeah, quick absolutely. as to what you mean a double elementary? Yeah, um, so an elementary, it's actually two elementary schools essentially in one building where there's two common areas, the spokes that come off of Prairie View, um, where you almost could chop the building in half and have two elementary schools that have all of the facilities necessary um, to run an elementary school, two media centers, all those kinds of things. And so the thought was, is if it's going to have a below-capacity enrollment, it is a perfect candidate to then take part of that school and house more early childhood. You also keep it pretty close to great beginnings, right? And so if we need any resources to flow between the two buildings, you have that capability, which is a little bit easier than if we tried to build either an all-new early childhood center or if there had been there had been some talk about trying to put early childhood into some wings of different elementary schools throughout the district, which also becomes a little bit of a problem because that puts extra um, responsibility on the principals and stuff like that at those elementary schools who may not be um, equipped to handle those early childhood needs. All right. So you're saying that Prairie View Elementary is sort of uniquely qualified of the Very elementary schools. Very uniquely qualified, yeah. And I, I wanted to kind of follow into this is that you, the district has an idea of what a an elementary school should consist of in terms of like volume of students and spaces and things of that nature. So when you say double elementary school, it means it has like a duplication of those services. That's correct. Capacities. That's okay. correct, yes. So I just wanted to that I, I wanted to put it in nerdy enough language for me, Nick, <laughs> um, to, to make me happy as a whole. Okay, so let's... Um, are there any other the projects? I don't think I think that's all the projects we have covered now. I don't think we left anything out, which is rare for us. But 
only because I'm sitting here looking at the I, list I, again. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look at the, uh, the the smart guy we brought in. No, you you did you we, did hit them all. You did hit them all. All right, and so we we, and we talked a little bit about the process, and and I think sometimes people don't, you know, especially when they're not hyper engaged. Uh, with what's going on with the district, they're not on the CAC or on the CMFP uh, and see, look at that. Very nicely done. Very nice. Uh, you bet. You bet. Anytime I can rub that in your face, I'm going to do it from here <laughs> forward. Uh, anyway, uh, we've gone through that. If they sometimes these bond issues or these big decisions, you know, hiring a new superintendent, which we are not talking about today. Thank you. Um, and oh, wait, uh, wait, wait, he doesn't want us to. Oh, now we're going. Down. <laughs> um, that wasn't why we brought you. So we're not, we're not going to spring that on you at the last second anyway, but deal with that. So let's talk about a little bit more about the process about, when was the genesis of the decision of the start of the you know the start of the process to make that? When was that? How long ago was that process? Are you asking for the genesis of the bond issue decision? Oh well, I think the genesis of uh, I mean, you you talked about the C, the CMFP, right? We had that project going on in in the back, you know, way back. It's been a couple three years, or mm-hmm. I don't know. You may know the date exactly, but the, it, it starts back there, right? It's not that this process came. It did not spring forth fully formed from the forehead of uh, Julie Doan or anything. It, 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 is, uh, it is a thing that has worked it, worked in the background. It has. And I would say probably for the bond issue question, you're talking probably an 18 to 24-month process that we've, that we've gone through. Um, when I first started on the board, um, they were in the beginning stages of coming up with – you know, will we need a bond issue or should we do a bond issue uh, in April of 2020? Now, they may have already had discussions about it even prior to me starting on the board. That's that's something I obviously can't speak to. What I do know is that once the CFMP um, exploratory teams, and I'm talking about even before we started the public engagement sessions, um, once those teams of administrators and teachers and community members started to meet, I think it was pretty clear that we were going to need a new bond issue coming up here in 2020. And so that kind of kicked off the process. That would have been kind of the, the starting process there of then starting to figure out, okay, now what are our needs? So you let the CFMP process play out because it does the demographics for you um, so that we can figure out the enrollments. It allows us to figure out what are the needs, for example, at Mason Elementary School um, and some of those other buildings throughout the district. Um, you make sure, and I do think we've done a good job on this, by the way, of making sure that we allowed the community to give us input um, as we went through each step of the process. So from the initial engagement um, of community administrators and teachers, the engagement through the CFMP process to let us know what people thought needed to get done, And then as we went into the CFMP phase two recommendations, then we also held the community engagement sessions um, surrounded around the bond project to ultimately lead to the Citizens Advisory Committee getting all of the information and giving us a recommendation. Now, obviously, you are you are here as a board member, so so you you are supporting this issue, and and you are hoping that, that you can convince people what do you what would you ask people to consider so as voters in the community are weighing this and trying to trying to figure out what they what their voice is going to be what 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 do you think you you want to ask people to consider well i think the first thing is uh, is to consider how does this impact our entire district and sometimes it can be really difficult to not silo yourself within your individual school or your individual neighborhood. And I only mean that to say, you know, there's going to be some people who are disappointed that their school isn't on the list to initially get some of these um, upgrades and renovations and stuff like that. But what I would ask the community to do is to think through, if your kid is in elementary school right now, for example, like mine are, my kids are going to benefit from the upgrades that are happening at the middle school. They're going to benefit from the athletic facilities upgrades. All of those things are still going to benefit my kids, even though it's years down the road. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that I hope people will ask questions, right? We have a lot of people who have already sent us things saying that we're misleading them by telling them that it's a no tax increase, right? But it is a no tax increase. It really is. Our tax levy right now for debt service is a dollar and seven cents. You vote for the bond issue in April, it's going to be a dollar and seven cents. If you don't vote for the bond issue, it's going to be a dollar and seven cents, right? And that'll be true next year and the year after, 
right? Until we would pay off even our current bonds. So um, it's those kinds of misconceptions that I hope that we can make sure and kind of bring out and let people know what the correct information is. Because I think in the end, if you just look through the lens, is this good for the entire district? It absolutely is for all 18,000 kids. I think you, you just talked about, about information and trying to clarify that. But I, th- I think another thing that, that, that you might hear, and, and this is based on, on the last several months, right? There, there's been some consternation and some drama in and among the school district. Part of your job as a school board and part of the job as a school district is, is to ensure trust, Right, and so I think there are people that have asked the question and have said, "Hey, why would we vote for yes for this? Because we don't feel like we can trust you." There's even I will even say a guest columnist for Link to Lee Summit had put out there, "Hey, the the big thing is can the school board, can the school district prove prove that they are worthy?" So how would you how how would you as a member of that board? And I don't want you to try to speak for the whole board. I won't put that on you yet. <laughs> but I mean, you know, just for yourself as a board member, how do, how do you think maybe you would you would respond to that? Well, I think the first thing I would say is the lack of trust that some people have in us was it was it well earned, right? Did did we earn did we earn that skepticism, or was that also a product sometimes of a little bit of misinformation? And I would say it's both, right? Because there's times that the school board in the last few months, let's say a year, uh, to, yeah, we to, I think right, we can go back twelve months. Right, twelve months okay. is, to, is probably perfectly fine at this particular moment. Um, you know, there were times that we probably brought some of this heat on ourselves. That's that, And I think that's a fair statement. And obviously this is me talking right now, not the other six board members. That's my opinion. No, no, we are putting these words right. in there. <laughs> that's right. So, well, you know, we'd want to make sure, right? So we, we'll earn them then. We, that's that's right. right. <laughs> that's right. So I, th- I do think we brought some of that heat on ourselves. I think we brought some of that skepticism. That being said, when we look at the bond issue that's coming up, I, the community hopefully is going to realize that the board members received a recommendation, that this is a community recommendation that was given to us as board members. Now, did we get to go through it and ask questions and all that kind of stuff? Yes. We had a, a presentation on it. We got to ask questions, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, this is the community's and the district's recommendation, and the seven of us as board members looked at it and went through it with a fine tooth comb and said, this is a great recommendation. We're going to push forward with it. And I do think in the last few months we have done a better job as a school district um, of pushing things forward that need to go forward. And I'm hoping that we can ensure that that it, it passes here in April. All right, so I'm going to ask the I'm going to ask a, a more pointed question. Um, the the buzzword that has run around the district over the last couple of years is equity. So give me the sell me since you're very supportive. I believe you use those words of this issue. How does this bond issue serve equity in the district? Well, I think first and foremost, it absolutely meets the definition of equity. It, does everybody, does everybody in the community know what the definition of equity is, right? Which is we're going to give students what they need or meet students where they are. You know, some people, when we talk about equity, always confuse it with the word equality. So are we, with this bond issue, putting forward the projects that are going to be most needed for students throughout the district? And we are. So, you know, while, yeah, some students, you know, or parents may feel that their school is getting slighted just a little bit, I don't think that that's accurate. I think that we are absolutely advocating on, on behalf of equity in the district because we're, we're taking issues that are most pressing and most needed for the students in our district, and we're, we're addressing them. We're acting on them. Cool. Well, all right. So there, there's your your equity sale because we I'm, I points don't know. points for working that in. Right. Well, hey, look, I'm I'm, I'm hey, it's sick. an impo- it's an important I'm, question. I am hey, putting the bar right. down. All nine of the candidates who are planning are running for this thing. Believe you me, the equity word will be used I, in your interview, and and we're going to have some conversations about that. I think that was at the top of our list. Through. Yeah, it's right there. So I just wanted to make sure we got that in when we talked yeah. about. It. Then I have I have one more thing for you. Sure. So, so there are people who you know as we talk about the trust thing, and I think you've kind of you've made an effort to adjust that who feel like they still somehow were not able to participate in the process. So between now and April and ongoing, honestly, what is it that people can do? Because this is our big thing that we have here, Nick and I. It's like, how can you get involved? How can you make a difference in your community? What are things other than running for school board? Because that's closed now. What can they do? What can people do to get involved in what's going on in the school district in a more uh, direct way? 
Well, the first thing would be is if they do really want to be a part of one of the school district committees, they can contact the district administration to be able to do that. You can actually fill out an application to be on the Citizens Advisory Committee if you want to get into the weeds on all of this stuff and help make some of those decisions and recommendations. Way, you should to, want way to, to sell it. Way to right. sell it. <laughs> right. So, um, but you know what? We've had tremendous interest in the CAC, and it continues to be a driver within the school district, and I think it speaks to a lot of the people who are serving um, on the CAC right now and we have a lot of new members on the CAC which is fantastic so we are getting some of those new voices people who just want more information about the bond projects or more information about equity for example there is absolutely no reason not to reach out to anybody within the school district or to email a school board member we will email you back or we should be emailing you back or we should be sending you to the correct person who will get you um, the information you need so you can have a direct line um, straight to the school then obviously I would obviously recommend that you get involved in your local school as well when, whenever possible. All right. Well, Ryan, I want to thank you for coming out and answering our really, really, really hard questions. I know we, we, we turned on the bright light for you. Also, I want to, I want to say thank you. This is uh, Jason and I. This is our 300th episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. So thank you You're for welcome. coming out. It was and, fun. And this was, fun. This was how this is how we celebrate. We get nerdy with process and government and elections. And this, that's fine. I like talking to the debaters. So. In celebration, we are doubling the amount of money we usually pay our guests. Yes. Awesome. You, uh, okay, I see it. You Nothing get new, on the counter. You two, get, excellent. two times zero. Right. You, get, you get two zeros after your zero. That's yeah. fantastic. There, there we go. go. At least there's a decimal point in there, so that's good. <laughs> oh, I forget those. I don't do math. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, thank you for taking the time to come and talk with us. We really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I'm going to give one more sponsor. Thank you, Jason. A big thank you to Shred Casey, who has for many, many months, they have helped bring the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast to the people of Lee Summit. And I got to say this, they have brought the general, the average fitness level of this podcast up by their mere presence. That's true. I, I can live vicariously through those people. Because I have been dragging it down for many more <laughs> months than that. Hey, look, if you are ready to make a change, live your life a little more healthy, eat better, get more fit, go see our friends at Shred KC. They are the positive influence and the knowledgeable minds that you need in your life. Tell them Jason Nick sent you. You have been listening to Lee Summit Town Hall, a link to Lee Summit podcast with hosts Nick Parker and Jason Norberry. A proud member of the Fredcast Network, you can subscribe to this podcast on most of your favorite podcast apps and catch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for all the news, analysis, and conversations on the Lee Summit community. Connect with us on Facebook at Link2Lee Summit or on Twitter at LS Town Hall.